All right. Welcome. <laughs> yeah, one person excited to be here. Wonderful. Well, let's go ahead and we'll start this evening with a song, Springs of Living Water. I thirsted in the barren land of sin and shame. If you'll all stand with me just so I can hear you a little better. Makes me feel more comfortable with myself. I thirsted in the barren land of sin and shame. Let's sing it out. Here we go. I thirsted in the barren land of sin and shame, and nothing satisfying there I found. But to the blessed cross of Christ one day I came, where springs of living water did abound. Drinking at the springs of living water, happy now am I, my soul they satisfy. Drinking at the springs of living water, oh, wonderful and bountiful supply. How sweet the living water from the hills of God, it makes me glad and happy all the way. Now glory, grace, and blessing mark the path I've trod. I'm shouting hallelujah every day. Drinking at the springs of living water. Happy now am I, my soul they satisfy. Drinking at the springs of living water. Oh, wonderful and bountiful supply. On the last. Oh, sinner, won't you come today to Calvary? A fountain there is flowing deep and wide. The Savior now invites you to the water free, where thirsting spirits can be satisfied. Drinking at the springs of living water, happy now am I, my soul they satisfy. Drinking at the springs of living water, <clears throat> full and bountiful supply. Excellent singing. Go ahead and be seated. We'll sing, Now I belong to Jesus. Jesus, my Lord, will love me forever. From him no power of evil can sever. Let's sing it out on that first verse. Here we go. Jesus, my Lord, will love me forever. From him no power of evil can sever. He gave his life to ransom my soul. Now I belong to him. Now I belong to Jesus. Jesus belongs to me, not for the years of time alone, but for eternity. Once I was lost in sin's degradation, Jesus came down to bring me salvation, lifted me up from sorrow and shame. Now I belong to Him. Now I belong to Jesus. Jesus belongs to me, not for the years of time alone, 
but for eternity on the last joy floods my soul for jesus has saved me freed me from sin that long had enslaved me his precious blood he gave to redeem now i belong to him now i belong to jesus Jesus belongs to me, not for the years of time alone, but for eternity. Excellent singing. Good job. Now take your Bibles with me if you would. <clears throat> Romans chapter 3. You said I thought we were done with Romans chapter 3. One more verse, okay? Just one more verse. Romans chapter 3. Is anybody else finding it warm in here tonight? <sighs> Dying. Jacket may come off, all right? Romans chapter 3. Finish this phrase for me, okay? Waste not. Oh, you guys are awesome. Okay, waste not, want not. Some of the best advice I've ever gotten when it comes to making changes to equipment is make sure that you build. Build. Don't replace. Build. In other words, don't buy a piece of equipment that will have to be replaced by something else in a few years. Okay? Follow this through with me, okay? Don't buy a piece of equipment that's going to need to be replaced in a few years. That's wasting. Buy a piece of equipment that will last you a long time and can be built, used to be built, to be built upon, okay? So for instance, I love to hunt, okay? I love to hunt. Just in case nobody knows that, I enjoy hunting. When I began to hunt, I, I just bought whatever I could to wear out hunting. I didn't buy really good stuff. I just bought the cheapest, quickest things that I could find. And I remember walking out in really cold weather feeling like a snowman, right? I couldn't move because I had so much bulk on me, and I had all these things. So I remember buying my very good first good pair of a base layer. Like they call them long johns, right? I remember buying my first really good pair, and I thought, wow, what a difference. And so now I still have that pair. And now I'm able to buy another good pair just in case it gets a little bit colder. I can build on top of that. The same is true in a lot of areas of our lives. With I think of our sound equipment, right? We want to build on things. We don't want to buy a piece of equipment that we're going to have to replace in a couple years. That's wasting. So waste not, want not. By the way, this is biblical in the, in, as well, okay? Matthew chapter 7 and verse 24 and 25, the Bible says, Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken unto him unto a wise man, which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell not. Why? For it was founded upon a rock. Okay, so we need to have a base, uh, something that's solid, something that we can build upon, that we can expand with. 
Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 19, Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints, and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all things being fitly framed together groweth unto a holy temple in the Lord. So again, hopefully, hopefully you understand this. Waste not, want not. There are certain things in this life that you can establish and then build upon. Jesus Christ is one of those. Establishing yourself on Jesus Christ as the solid rock will help us grow further into all things. We need to be building on each other. Building on other things. And so here we go in chapter, Romans chapter 3 and verse 31. The Bible says this. Do we then make void the law through faith? Are we wasting the law then? Because now that faith is come, are we wasting the law? What's the answer here? God forbid. Waste not, want not. Okay, so there is a, the purpose of the law. Just because we are now under grace and just because now we have faith, we are not voiding the law. Yea, look what he says, we establish the law. We establish the law. Okay? So this is the congruence of God. He did not do away with the law. He came to, in Jesus' own words, he came to fulfill it. Okay, so let's actually go over there. Matthew chapter 5. Keep your finger in Romans chapter 3 and 4. Go back to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. And verse 17. The Bible says this. Jesus speaking. Think not that I am come to destroy the law. Or the prophets. Look at it. He says... I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. Verse 18, For verily I say unto you, Till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law, till all be fulfilled. So Jesus did not come to destroy the law. He did not come to lay it to waste. He did not come to waste it, but he came to fulfill it. Now, this is interesting. So in my mind, and I believe the way the Bible works, is this is where works, the law, and faith come together. Where works and faith come together. In fact, if you'll back up in Matthew chapter 5 and look at verse 13. Look at verse 13. The Bible says, Ye are the salt of the earth. But if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under foot of men. Verse 14. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Now let me ask you, as salt and light, does that come Naturally or supernaturally? Salt and light, are they come naturally or supernaturally? If they're coming from us, they're coming supernaturally. 
But how are they shown? How does salt, how is it manifest? It's shown by what it does. The same with light. We turn the lights on in the building. Guess what happens? It sheds light upon all the things that are around us. It dispels the darkness. It works. So salt works. Light works. Now I want you to look at verse 16. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. And then he says, he continues, think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am come not to, I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. So here we are, we're seeing works being played out, and Jesus says, I'm not come to destroy the law, but I'm come to fulfill them. This is interesting. Now, the law, if you, haven't, if you don't know this yet, the law was a shadow of things to come. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 10. I'm going to have you turn a bunch tonight. Hebrews chapter 10. I'm already seeing some confused faces out there. Hopefully you'll be able to stick with me long enough. I'll bring this all to a close. Hebrews chapter 10, look at with me in verse 1. The Bible says this, For the law, having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. Okay, and this, there's a whole lot of context around Hebrews chapter 10. But I want you to understand simply this, that the law was a shadow of things to come. It wasn't an exact picture. But it was a shadow of things to come. Again, hopefully you have enough Bible understanding to understand that when they sacrificed an animal, that was a lamb, usually. It was a lamb of the first year. It was a lamb without blemish. And it was a lamb without spot. And so this was the type of lamb. And that lamb was to be brought once a year on the Day of Atonement to give an atonement for the people of Israel. By the way, this is a beautiful picture of Jesus Christ. This is a beautiful picture of Jesus Christ. 1 Peter chapter 1, and verse 18, the Bible says, For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation, received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. When John the Baptist was getting ready to baptize some people, and here comes Jesus. What did he say? Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. See, so the, the, the law is not a bad thing. It was something that was used for good. It is, it is works-based, absolutely. The works, you have to do this, and you have to do that. And Oh boy, spend some time in the Old Testament. There was a whole lot of do's and don'ts. A whole lot of them. In fact, we're studying Nehemiah in our, in our uh, small groups. And Nehemiah, some of the people of Israel are like, man, we are going to do what God commanded. We're going to get back to that now. We're going to follow Christ. We're going to do what he has. So do we then make void the law through faith? No. But we establish it. We fulfill it. We help it. We, we continue. Jesus Christ was the perfect sacrifice. 
It was a shadow of things to come. After him, after Jesus, there would be no more need for sacrifice. No more need for sacrifice. And this is just one way that the law was a shadow of things to come. But Jesus, again, came to fulfill the law. You say, what does this have to do with anything? Well, it actually leads us right into chapter 4. Chapter 4 and verse 1, Paul uses one of the most respected leaders of all Israel, the father Abraham. He says in verse 1, What shall we say then, that Abraham our father, as pertaining to the flesh, hath found? So what is Abraham finding? What, what did he find out? Verse 2, For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. Verse 3, For what saith the Scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. I want you to jump back to verse 2. For if Abraham were justified by works. I want you to notice that phrase, justified by works. Now you will find this justified by works in another passage, and it will have Abraham's name attached to it. So I'm going to try not to get too far off course here tonight, but we could spend a great deal of time bouncing back and forth through Scripture. I'm going to try and stay focused here, all right? So let me ask you this question. What are some of the works that Abraham did? You don't necessarily answer out loud. Just think about it. Abraham, you know who Abraham was, right? Abraham was the son of a man by the name of Terah. Terah is called of God to leave Ur of the Chaldees unto a place that I will show you. Terah leaves with his son and with, his, with Lot, the Bible says. And they make it all the way to a place called Haran. And in Haran, Terah, Abraham's father, dies. They only make it about halfway. After some time after Terah dies, God comes to Abraham and says, Abraham, I want you to leave your family, and I want you to get up, and I want you to go to a place that I will call you to go. And guess what Abraham does? He gets up and goes. Can you imagine going to a place that you have no destination? I, I can't, okay? That bothers me. For, for just to drive, okay? I love scenery, but I want to be going somewhere, okay? Whether it's, hey, let's take a drive up to Goderich and back, at least I have a way that I can go. Just to start turning left, right, I'm telling you, something, somebody who would really bother, my wife. If I just got in the car and started turning left, right, left, right, left, right, left, right, she would freak out, where are you going? Don't worry about it, babe, I got it. She, she doesn't trust me near as much as she lets on that she does. So can you imagine? We have no idea where we're going. And God just says, hey, come on, I want to take you somewhere. And you just follow. Literally, that's exactly what it is. So that's a work that he did. And we find that he left Ur of the Chaldees with his father, Terah, in Genesis chapter 11 and verse 31. Again, they make it as far as Haran. We approximate that to be about halfway. In Hebrews, or excuse me, Genesis chapter 12 and verse 1, God then calls 
Abram out of Haran to a place that he would show him. So Abraham leaves his home and trusts God where he's going to take him. After that, God and Abraham have some back and forth. Abraham goes and does some pretty dumb things and then comes back and worships the Lord, builds an altar and apologizes to the Lord. And then he goes and does some pretty dumb things and then comes back builds an altar before the Lord and apologizes and gets right with God and then he goes and does another dumb thing and it just it's this constant back and forth with God. But we really don't see Abraham do anything extraordinarily special other than he fought for Lot, his nephew. He spent a lot of time and effort fighting an extremely big army with just some hired hands, and God gives him the victory. But other than these few things, we don't see Abraham do much until he sacrificed or attempted to sacrifice his son Isaac. This is the works that Abraham had done. Now we look at this and we think, wow, can you imagine sacrificing your own son? Hey, Father, we have the wood, we have the fire, but where is the lamb? Don't worry, son. God will provide himself a lamb. Walking up there, and can you imagine grabbing your son and placing him on the altar? And as you rear that knife back to slay your son... A voice out of heaven says, Abraham, Abraham, don't do this. You've done enough. This is the works that Abraham have done. But here's the question. When did Abraham have righteousness imputed unto him? When did Abraham have righteousness imputed unto him? Was it when he left Haran and Ur of the Chaldees? Was it then? Or did he receive righteousness or have righteousness imputed unto him when he went to kill his son Isaac? When? Well, let's look at what the Bible says. It's not when he left Haran. It actually came between these two stories. So I want you to go to Genesis chapter 13. Genesis chapter 13. This is just to give you a little bit of context. Genesis chapter 13 and verse 14. The Bible says this, And the Lord said unto Abram, after that lot was separated from him, he says this, Lift up now thine eyes, and look from the place where thou art, northward, southward, eastward, westward. For all the land which thou seest, to thee will I give it. And notice, I want you to notice this, to thy seed forever. And I will make thy seed as the dust of the earth, so that if a man can number the dust of the earth, then shall thy seed also be numbered. Verse 17, arise, walk through the land in the length of it and in the breadth of it, for I will give it unto thee. Okay, so God gives Abram a promise. Hey, I'm going to give you this land. Everything that you see is what I am going to give you to you and to your seed forever. 
We know that to be the promised land. We know that to be the place where Israel is today. But go to chapter 15. Chapter 15 and verse 1. And it came to pass in the days of Amraphel, king of Shinar. Oh, that's verse 14. I'm, uh, chapter 14, I'm sorry. Verse, chapter 15. After these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. Verse 2. And Abram said, Lord God, what wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless? Now I want you to stop there. Why is this important? Why is it important that he is childless? Because back in chapter 13, God said, I'm going to give this land to you and to your seed. He promised him that seed would come for him. And he says, and the steward of my house is this Eliezer of Damascus. So is this the person? Is this my child? This Eliezer? Verse 3, And Abram said, Behold to me, thou hast given no seed. And lo, one born in my house is mine heir. Eliezer is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, This Eliezer shall not be thine heir. But he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. And he brought him forth abroad and said, Look now toward heaven, and tell the stars if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. Now look at verse 6, very important, verse 6. And he believed in the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. So a lot of times we think about Abram, Abraham. We're thinking, wow, he did this amazing work. He, he, he left Ur of the Chaldees with his father, and then he left Haran. He did such a wonderful thing. Wow, what a wonderful guy. And then he sacrificed Isaac. What an amazing man. But the Bible says that it is simply when he believed God. He believed that God would bring seed from his own flesh, from his own loins. Because Abraham believed in the Lord that seed would be born from his own bowels, it was, according to the Bible, counted to him for righteousness. I want you to think about this. If Abraham was justified by works, look at this, he hath whereof to glory. It would be his own glory instead of God's. It should be God's glory. Now, I want you to think through Abraham's life with me, okay? You say, why are you spending so much time on Abraham? Because Romans chapter 4 spends a lot of time on Abraham. Think, about, think through Abraham's life. After this promise is given, chapter 15 and verse 5 and 6, I'm going to give you seed from your own bowels, and that is what he believed in God. What did Abraham try to do? Try to do it through what made sense to him. He tried to make it happen. He tried to do it himself. He tried to be justified by his own works. He had an adulterous affair with Hagar. Oh, his wife knew about it. It's okay. His wife, in fact, promoted it. Hey, we're supposed to have a child, and we can have a child through this, my handmaid, Hagar. Listen, this was a work only, not of God, but only of Abraham. Trying to make something happen on his own. 
And guess what? All the problems began then. And so here we see Abraham trying to be justified by works. Understand this. God was the only one who could do something about his childlessness. Who in the world could ever make a 99-year-old man and a 90-year-old lady have a child? In fact, even his wife Sarah is in the tent cracking up. Like, you got to be kidding me. There is no way that myself and this old man are going to have any pleasure, and there is no way we're going to have a child. And in the Bible, it tells us that the, the angel of the Lord hears her. Why is she laughing? She doesn't believe. Oh, I'm not laughing. I'm not laughing. It was only could happen from God. Nothing else could be possible. Listen, you can try to have a child by Hagar. You can try to have L.I.E.s. Uh, you can try to make it make sense as much as possible. But I want you to understand, this was only to be done by God. And when Abraham believed in God, the Bible says that's when it was counted to him for righteousness. This was something only God could do. Now I want you to jump down with me to Romans chapter 4 and verse 5. Romans chapter 4 and verse 5, the Bible says this. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly. Let me ask you, can you justify your ungodliness? Oh, have we tried? We've all tried it. We've all tried to justify our ungodliness. We've all tried to uh, do the right things, and we've tried to obey God, and we've tried to work hard, and we've tried to do all these things. But Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 tells us, listen, you can't do it. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works. Why? Lest any man should boast, or if I should get the glory. Listen, we cannot, we cannot work to justify our own ungodliness. There is only one. There is only one, and it takes faith in that one. Again, read verse 5 again. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly. Notice, his faith, his faith is counted for righteousness. So again, Paul's doubling down on this. Listen, no more of works, all by faith. Listen, even your father Abraham, Father Abraham had many sons, remember? Even your father Abraham was justified by faith. By faith. So works do not justify a man. Works are simply an outflow. Don't miss this. Works are simply an outflow of what has already been accomplished. 
works are simply an outflow of what has already been accomplished. I'm sure you're all thinking, what about James chapter 2? I want to go there so badly right now. Let's do it. Let's do it. I can't, I can't handle it. This is not in my notes, so here we go. We're going rogue. James chapter 2. Works, works and faith. James chapter 2. Look with me in verse 14. The Bible says, What doth it profit, my brethren? Though a man say he hath faith and have not works, can faith save him? Big question mark. Can faith save him? If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding ye give them not those things which are needful to the body, what doth it profit? If you're going to say, hey, I hope, hope you do better, I have faith that you're going to get what you need down the road, but you don't fulfill that, what does it profit? Verse 17, even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. But I want you to notice the tie-in to these two things. Okay? The tie-in is very important. Verse 18, yea, a man may say, thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Verse 19, thou believest that there is one God. Thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is what? Is dead. Was not our father, was not Abraham our father justified? Oh, oh, oh no. Here's the contradiction. Was not Abraham our father justified by works? Here it is, when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar. Seest thou how faith wrought with his works, and by works was faith made perfect. Seest thou how faith wrought with his works, and by works was faith made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled, which saith, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. Ye see then how that by works a man is justified and not by faith alone. I've just threw a bunch of more question marks in your head, haven't I? What in the world? The Bible is contradicting itself. We can't have both of these things. You can only have one or the other. Listen, why did Abraham offer Isaac? Why did Abraham offer Isaac? Because God asked him to, very simply. And so, here's what happened. Is Abraham believed in God, that he was going to give him seed of his own loins. At 99 years old, and 90 years old, Sarah conceives. And at 100, Abraham is made a father of his own seed. And so, I believe it's eight years, they live, and then God says, I want you to take your son, your only son, Isaac, the one that I've given you, the one from your loins, your seed, and I want you to go sacrifice him. Let me ask you a question. 
would Abraham's faith still been, would it have still been faith if he said no to that? Would he have still trusted in God? The answer is no. Because if you th- think through this, again, I'm going, I'm going rogue here, so <laughs> I'm trying to use my words wisely. If Abraham said, no, God, I'm not going to do that. He would have no more faith in God. But here's the wonderful thing. He didn't do that. The Bible says he immediately got up and went, gathered the things that he needed, took some men with him, and took Isaac and went to a mount and was getting ready to sacrifice his son Isaac. Listen, his faith was demonstrated by his works. Let me say that again. His faith was demonstrated by his works. Up until this point, he, tr- he tried to go around it. I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to try and live my own life. Listen, works don't justify the man. Works are simply an outflow of what has already been accomplished. God, I already have faith in you. And now that faith is going to play out. So let me ask you this question. Can you have faith without works? Answer wisely. It's nigh unto impossible. Let me, let me illustrate with love. Let me illustrate with love. Now we're going to have to turn a bunch more, okay? Romans chapter 13. we're going to spend a lot more time on this, so if I've confused you more, we'll talk about it again, okay? Romans chapter 13. Look with me in verse 8. The Bible says, Oh, no man anything but to love one another. Why? For he that loveth another hath what? Fulfilled the law. What? So love... Fulfilled the law. Jump down, verse 9. For this, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet. And if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Okay, all those commandments that were just mentioned, if you love your neighbor as yourself, you're not going to break any of those commandments. Let's continue, verse 10. Love worketh no ill to his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Some of you are already tying the dots already. Don't get ahead of me. Go to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 14. Actually, let's look at verse 13. The Bible says this, For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. Verse 14, For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. You understanding? I can take care of all the law, 
all the six commandments that are based on, the, on mankind, I can take care of all of them just simply by loving my neighbor as myself. James calls it the royal law. I can fulfill that. I can establish that law. That is a way that I can show forth my love. So love is the fulfilling of the law. Let me say that again. Love is the fulfilling of the law. Now let me ask this question. Husbands, can you love without serving? Can you? Be careful what you answer because your wife's going to hold you accountable. The answer is no. You can serve without loving, but you cannot love without serving. So is serving a good thing? Yes. But how much more powerful it is when love is first. Listen, works are a great thing. Works are a wonderful thing. But works will never get you heaven. Faith comes first and then works follow. Listen, you'll be taught all kinds of false doctrine around this. You'll be taught all kinds of things that, listen, we have to fulfill the law. We have to do all these things. We have to follow the catechisms. We have to live our lives in such a certain way. Listen, it is not of works. It is only through faith. And then once we have received the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and His mercy, then guess what? We want to work for Him all we can because our faith is demonstrated by our works. Now, you say, I still don't understand completely. I want to draw your attention to John chapter 3 and verse 16. Most of you know it. For God so what? Loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus Christ, from love of God the Father, the love fulfilled the law. The love, God is love, established the law. And Jesus said, listen, there are two commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Upon these two commandments, guess what? Hang all the law and the prophets. And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. He is the love. Love comes first, then the works. Because God loved, he sent or he gave. Love comes first, then the work of Jesus Christ. So likewise, faith comes first and then works. So let me put it to you this way. James again says, I will show you my faith by my works. It's one thing to talk the talk. It's another thing to walk the walk. It's one thing to talk the talk. It's another thing to walk the walk. Sometimes we proclaim, I love Jesus, I have faith in Jesus. But let me ask you, do your works back that up? Do your works back that up? 
do your works prove your faith? Again, I want you to go back. Do we then void the law through faith? God forbid. Yea, we establish the law. It's a fulfillment of the law. Do they establish, do our works establish our faith, or do they act in controversy to it? You, we've all met people, right, that claim to know Jesus Christ, but we wonder. Our works ought to let the light of Jesus Christ shine to those. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 16, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Over the next several weeks, we're going to spend a bunch of time here in Romans chapter 4. I'm just going to be honest with you. It goes back and forth, slightly confusing. You'll have to really take a lot of coffee shots, okay, before you come just to pay attention. But it describes how Abraham and how David were justified by faith. And then how their works proved their faith kind of getting a little bit more practical because the reality is how we live ought to portray our faith. If we're living in a way that's putting a bushel over our light, that's our problem. Jesus is the light, and he's inside of us. We ought to be portraying him as such. I hope this wasn't too confusing, but the question still remains, do we then make void the law through faith? God forbid, yea, we establish the law. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you so much for all you do for us. Father, I pray for each and every one of us that we would demonstrate the faith that we have placed in you. Father, as I look across this room, the majority of people, I believe, have been saved. They know you as personal Savior. They've trusted in you in your shed blood on the cross of Calvary. Believe that three days later you arose from the dead conquering sin, conquering hell, conquering death. That's the death, that sting of death is no more. The grave cannot have victory anymore because you have given us the victory. I believe that majority of these people believe that, but Father, help us to live like it. Help us to live like we actually have a faith. Father, help us to show our faith by our works and that we might glorify you in all. Father, I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, that is all I have for you tonight. I do want to just uh, remind you of uh, our Easter cards out there. If you haven't invited somebody to Easter, please do that. Take some cards with you. Um, Pastor Stone is uh, starting to advertise for his trip to Israel. Again, I would encourage anybody who can try to make it, please try to make that. All the information is there on the back. And then uh, we have some cards left over um, for hard questions. I received one tonight. That's a very difficult question. Thank you very much for that. But uh, awesome opportunity. If you have some questions that you've been wondering from the Bible, uh, we would love to try to answer those for you in our small groups coming up. All right? That is all I have for you. Thank you so much. You are dismissed.